0: From the studios of Teeing It Up in the Swamps of Jersey, this is Teeing It Up with on the showing for Friday, April 19th, 2019. And we welcome in uh, Danny Flecka, who hasn't been on in a while. Hello, sir. Good, man. How are you? I am good. All right, we haven't had you on in a while, so let's go chronologically th- uh, through the order of some things here and, and get your. Uh, take on that number one Virginia winning the national championship game getting in that game in controversial style, but I think it was a, a, a very clean block the fact that guy hit all three of those free throws under the utmost of serious pressure and then holding off Texas Tech and winning the national championship um, and and winning that in overtime.
1: Yeah, it was a good game. It started off a little slow. Um, Both teams were, you know, known to have good defenses, and they showed up, and Texas Tech and Virginia kind of battled a little bit there in the first half. In the second half, it looked like Virginia was finding their footing a little bit and and took the lead, and then Texas Tech held on, and they fought off, um, you know, Virginia to stay within that game, and they made a couple of plays in that game that I think if you had to go back and watch it, you're scratching your head a little bit. The first was, um, you know, they're up by three, I think it was. It was like 20 seconds left. Virginia had the ball. They commit three defenders to one guy driving into the paint, leaving a guy wide open in the corner for a three, who was just unconscious in the second half. I thought that that was just a breakdown because you had a shot blocker in the lane, you had another good defender on him, and then you commit another guy to him. Knowing a three is going to beat you, if anything, let the guy shoot the ball in the paint. Like, let him do that. You know, make at a free-throw game, but they, they collapsed on him. Let him have the open shot in the corner, and then he, he drained it. And then Virginia was able to take control in the second, in the overtime period. Um, it was, I was rooting for Texas Tech. It would have been nice to see a non-traditional basketball school maybe take the title. Uh, but it was a good game. Virginia got some lucky breaks, but that's what it is, you know. When you're fighting for a championship in any sport, you need a couple of breaks or calls to go your way. Um, They got the call in the Auburn game. They got a call in the Texas Tech game, you know, when it went off the guy's pinky. Um, They got a couple of calls that went their way, but, you know, just because a call goes their way doesn't mean it means they're going to win. You know, you have to be able to execute after that, and Kyle Guy was able to hit those three free throws in the Auburn game, and they were
0: able to make some clutch shots in the Texas Tech game that allowed them to win. Um, how are you looking at now in hindsight, um, when you look at Zion Williamson, Duke and the way this, um, Duke team fell, um, because in in my mind, Zion was amazing. They just didn't have enough pieces and enough strength. Um, to do it and once again one and done teams do not make it to um, you know that one shining moment uh, montage they they just keep having problems one and done teams it's the teams that have veteran leadership and veteran times to, to hold the fort down and get it done
1: I think I said it earlier on a podcast to you that I didn't think Supe was a good team you know they had a lot of great individuals. But they weren't a good team, and I, I think it showed itself in the tournament. They were they were able to get by UCF barely. They were able to get by Virginia Tech barely, and then they faced the Michigan State team that they that was just ready to, to match match games with them, and they were able to play and stay in that game the entire time. And I, I think what happens when you have a one and done team and you know, I could be wrong and never played it on a one and done team so I don't know, but you don't have that guy that has been there, that has done it, or has faced these types of positions before, or has played these types of teams before to be able to be like, All right guys, this is what's gonna happen, here's what we gotta do, here's how we're gonna execute. And Michigan State had those guys, Virginia had those guys. These are guys that are battle tested that have been able to fight and what happens I think with one and done teams is that you have players that you know aren't invested in the program. They go to Duke, they go to Kentucky, they go wherever. You know that just it's a bridge to get them to the next point and when they get to this situation they either can, can fall or they can can rise up and unfortunately when you need five guys to be on the same page and, and three of them aren't or two of them aren't they could lead to breakdowns and we saw that on the inbounds past them Michigan State game The had the foul to keep that game going completely whiffed on that there was no backup behind that and they run out the clock so you know one and done teams are always going to feel the same type of uh, pressure to get things done because you know you only have one shot, whereas if you have a veteran team or a solid system in place, you can build off these tournaments and, and get to the next point, which is what we saw Virginia do. You know, they returned a lot of the same guys from that terrible loss against UMBC. They were able to rally behind each other, understand what it takes and, you know, how precious this moment is for them, and they're able to get it done. So, guys, that, that's the problem you're always going to face with a team, it's both around one and done. Uh, you're just not going to have, I think, people at the end that are really invested in the opportunities they have in front of them because they know the next opportunity is
0: the NBA. Do you think we are at the point where Zion becomes a groundbreaking changing change groundbreaking change in the NBA when he gets drafted? Hopefully by the by the Knicks. It, I
1: think that's it. I think it depends on where he goes. If he goes to the Knicks, and the Knicks can get. You know, Kevin Durant or Kyrie Irving or Kemba Walker or or somebody else that can help him along the way. Then yeah, I think he has that opportunity. If he goes to a place like Chicago or Phoenix, I I don't know if you see the impact of him right away. But I I think that if he's on the right in the right situation, it could be a a, a franchise-altering pick. You know, if he goes to New York and they get Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving like they want, they're looking at a team that is in last place in the East that all of a sudden is probably the fourth or fifth seed in the East and it's going to build off of that. So it all depends on where he goes. I think he'll have success wherever he goes, but I don't know if he's going to be a LeBron James type of phenomenon unless he has an opportunity to play with players that can help him along the way. And you can argue that LeBron didn't have that. You know, he kind of built the Cavs up from the ground. But LeBron is a way different player than what Zion is, and I think you only gonna to start to take that into consideration. LeBron you know, was a great passer, was a great shooter, was a pretty well defined shooter. Um, you know, he's six eight, six seven, whatever he is, power forward, shooting, you know, small forward. Zion's not his game isn't built like that. He's a in the box type of player, he's gonna be a good rim protector. He's going to be flashy around the hoop. He's going to be able to take people one-on-one inside the arc, but he can't really stretch the, the defenders out to the three-point line, and unless he can build that into his game, it's going to be hard for him to be a player like LeBron. Um, he us to lose a couple pounds. I mean, playing at 290 oh. is different than playing at 260 or 250, so it all depends on where he goes and what to add to him, but he, I think he'll have success, but if he has a veteran guy there, I think he'll be even more
0: successful. Let me just ask you something, as as somebody who uh, played sports at a fairly high level for a, a a big part of your life, and and lacrosse was in your blood for for so much of it, and now you know just plays a lot of um, pickup uh, uh, pickup's not the right term recreational sports just for fun. Can you tell when the kind of body you have? Is making a difference on the playing field.
1: Yeah, I think you, as an athlete, you want to be able to tailor your training towards the type of player you want to be. You know, if you want to be uh, in the box type of player, or you know, like we'll, we'll use football for example, if you want to be a sideline to sideline linebacker or, or a cover safety, you're going to tailor your your workouts and your programs towards. Building up that speed, being agile, having quick feet, uh, being able to you know change directions on a dime, etc. So you want your body to be able to do that. Overweight at that specific skill set, or if you're underweight at that specific skill set, that's when you you might you might be able to be successful, but you might not be able to hit your, your peak. And you want to be able to do that. So your body definitely changes the way you're going to play. I mean, look at. Uh, you know, when we lose LeBron again, when he first came into the league, he wasn't that big. He packed on some weight and he was able to, have to bring his game down low. He was able to stretch the defenders out and he was able to take it to the hole whenever he wanted. If he was built like Giannis at his height, he probably wouldn't have been able to have that type of game or that type of impact. So, you know, the body that you have definitely dictates the type of game you're going to have, but you can always tailor yourself to. Fit the game that you want to have based off of your, your habits and for Zion for example he's 19 years old he has a lot of time to either rectify whatever issues he thinks he has or grow on the skills that he has and becoming more defined you know from a physique standpoint better ball handling uh, you know better shooter or he can go the other way he can be like I'm going to change the game and be a go back to the old school low low post high-pick-and-roll type of player that's going to take it to the hole, get 15 rebounds a game, four-block shots. So, you know, it, it all depends on which way you want to go as a player, but I think it's important as a player to realize what it is you want to be, figure out how you're going to get there, and then go from there, because you can't be 180 pounds you a know, low post player in, in the NBA. Same thing, you can't be 290-pound linebacker and run sideline to sideline. So, you got to be able to, to figure out what it is that's best to do and then build your game
0: off of that. Talking to Danny Flecki here on Teeing It Up with Jeremy Schilling. All right, so um, we are now going to just go through a whole bunch of things that's happened uh, or continue to go through a whole bunch of things that's happened since we last spoke. Uh, speaking of uh, training in the locker room, Sterling Shepard will continue doing that as a member of the New York Giants. Your thoughts on that?
1: I like Sterling I Shepard. I thought he would be somebody that they had to figure out what they wanted to do with him. Uh, he became even more important after they got rid of Odell. You know, my, my concern with the Giants is not, not the contract they gave him, is that they have three wide receivers, and one of them's not even on a team that they're paying, and they're all kind of the same, right? Like, Odell was 5'10", Shepard's 5'9", Tate's 5'10". They're all kind of the same. They're all intermediate, uh, players. You know, Odell obviously is a different breed of, of a wide receiver, but Tate and Shepard are very similar skill set, um, over the middle, run after catch type players. And, you know, my guess is that they want to tailor their team towards what is now Eli Manning. But what happens if they draft somebody that wants to be, wants to throw the ball down the field? Then what? So my my concern isn't necessarily the money they gave him because I think he's a great ancillary piece to of their offense. It's that everybody's kind of the same. Now, what happens when that doesn't work? You know, what are you going to be able to do? So, um, that, that's my biggest issue. And then on top of that, you have sixty million dollars you're paying to wide receivers and twenty of that to a guy who's going to be playing for another team.
0: Um, we now move on to the Seahawks, who signed. Russell Wilson and made him the richest player in NFL history. Your thoughts on that deal?
1: It has to get it done, right? If you're Seattle, you yep. don't want this lingering... It was really interesting reading some of the stuff that I was coming out about these negotiations, how like, Russell Wilson wanted basically like an escalator in his contract due to the salary cap, which would have been game-changing, probably. Um, you know, If you have 5% added on every single year based off of the, con- based off of the salary cap... You know, you go from having twenty million this year, twenty five million next year, thirty million, whatever. The next, the following year, it was uh, an interesting way to approach negotiations once we've never seen before. Uh, but he got what seventy million dollars signing bonus. Um, Sixty five,
0: I think it was, but something like that, yeah. yeah he
1: got an exorbitant amount of signing bonus and a lot of money guaranteed. And if you're the Seahawks, you have to, you have to, you have to build around Russell Wilson, because he's your best player. He's a dynamic playmaker. He's a unique player in that league. And if they were to not sign him they'd have to go through the franchise stuff in the next two years, it would have been a big headache for them. And it kind of feels like they've stabilized that franchise after the Legion of Boom era. So now you can kind of build off of what you have. And he's still young. He's still in his prime. And they had a good team last year, if they made a couple of right moves here in the draft, they could take the next step. So um, I I think it was the right move. It's good for him. It's good for that team. And um, they've proven they can find people in the draft that can fit the system and the style that they play. They just got to keep hoping that they do that. And, you know, the Seahawks could be one of those dark horse teams this year that could
0: take on the Rams and potentially be in the NFC championship game. Um, Anything... um, uh... What, what was I gonna say? I, I, I forgot what I was gonna say. Oh yes, would you, if they could not get it done by that self-imposed deadline, did you want him as Eli's replacement?
1: In a heartbeat, are you kidding me? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're, you're, it's a situation where yeah, you're probably tying up a ton of money to a guy, but if, if you're looking to go in a, in a different direction and to really reinvigorate a fan base and a market, uh, Russell Wilson would not have been a terrible choice. He's a, he's a good player. He knows what he's doing. Um, he would have been pretty dynamic to have there with uh, Barkley and, and the other pieces they have. So it would have been really interesting to see if he should go to New York. But um, it was just spot or agenda day, unfortunately, it didn't come true. But it would have been really interesting to see him in New York.
0: Um. My sincere thanks to Saquon Barkley for uh, being the inspiration and motivational force behind Tiger Woods' caddy, Joe LaCava. Uh, um, Joey wore a Saquon Barkley shirt underneath his caddy vest on Sunday at the Masters, and Nike got wind of this. They got in contact with Joey. Oh, sorry, got in contact with Saquon. Uh, Saquon uh, was excited about it, and uh, Nike came back to Joey looking for his address so that Saquon Barkley could send him some stuff. So uh, good on Saquon Barkley, and thank you on behalf of all of us golf fans in the world. That's
1: pretty cool. I did not know that. So, I mean, Saquon's just doing things left and right.
0: <laughs> um. Joey is a huge New York sports fan he wore a, a Rangers t-shirt on on Friday and he always wears uh, his 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 yardage book is contained within this holder that is the Giants logo and the stickers from their four Super Bowl uh, um, wins so it's the logo of that Super Bowl you know the official logo which you see everywhere um, he has them st- as he has those as stickers out um, On each corner all four uh, of his yardage book so he's he is a a a big-time New York sports fan big-time Giants support fan and he's become friends with Chris Mara um, who's the senior vice president of uh, player personnel for the Giants so yeah it runs deep when it comes to Joe LaCava and his love of the of of the uh, uh, Giants
1: uh, I I'm I mean, I feel this pain, though. It's not. It hasn't been good the last couple of years. All
0: right. What did you think when you saw the schedule?
1: I thought the schedule was, you know, at the end of the day, with would be scheduled. It's not really, you know, what's uh, going to be, what games are going to be on the schedule. You kind of know with the rotation, you know, what it is. You know, I knew that they had the Jets, Bills, Dolphins, and Pats, and I knew that they had um, what's the other division that they're playing, um, the NFC South, right? So, no, they're not playing NFC South, they're playing, I, I can't remember off the top of my head who they're playing in the NFC, but, um, I knew what they were playing, it was just a matter of how it was going to line up, you know, what the order was going to be, and, As usual, they they open up against Dallas, albeit not on a Sunday night. Um, But they're in Dallas for the fifth time in seven years on opening day. Um, They have three prime time games. You know, they have the Eagles, the Pats on a Thursday night, which they'll probably get their asses kicked, and um, uh, Cowboys. I think they have on a Monday night. You
0: were looking for the NFC North. Uh, Danny, we're talking to uh, Daniel Flecka by the way, here on uh, on uh, teeing it up. It is the NFC North. That's what you were looking yeah, so
1: for. They have, a, I think, their schedule right now on paper is about as good as it's going to be. I, I, their opening is nice. They they have some winnable games there, depending again how all things shake out. They have a rough stretch a little bit with the Packers, Bears, the Eagles towards the end of the year. Uh, you know, they're never playing They just can't beat. Um, the, the Eagles, so it's going to be a tough game for them. Watch I that trap
0: game against Miami on December fifteenth. Watch that the watch that trap game. Yeah, so I
1: mean, it, it all depends on how they perform. There's a good chance they could be five and five, or they could be one and nine. Um, we'll see. I, I don't, I don't put a lot of stock into this stuff because. Right now, everybody's healthy. We haven't seen anybody play. These games are all just projections, and you know you're, you're hoping that it goes the way you want it to go if you're the schedule makers. But from a Giants perspective, you got to get your you gotta Go through this draft. Hope everybody that you had on that team is healthy going into Week One, and then see what happens. You know, funnier things have happened in the NFL. But quick glance, I, I'd say they're probably a six and ten team. 5-11, not any different than they were the last couple
0: of years. Do you know that you play three of the four teams you play in the preseason during the regular season?
1: Which is stupid. I mean, why would you want to do that? But uh, their, their preseason schedule is usually the same, right? They're playing, yes,
0: they're yeah. Like, it's because two games are locked in. One yeah. One, yeah.
1: So, I mean, it, it is what it is. I mean, but my concern with this team is from a fan perspective, you if they don't draft a quarterback, do you suck to get a high pick next year or do you want to see them win? And that's where I'm caught as as a fan because nothing they've done has been been on plan. So I was joking around with one of my buddies the other day. You know, we were like saw one of the mock drafts, and then we heard some of the comments yesterday. And my buddy said something to me. and I was like, you know what? The problem with them is that they've been too transparent. Even though they don't have a plan, they keep saying we're gonna take the best player, we're gonna do this, we're gonna do that. I about you lie a little bit. It's like, yeah, we're gonna grab a quarterback. We know Eli's on the last leg. Instead of that, you know, they keep doubling down on Eli Manning, and it's it's all frustrating from a fan perspective. Because uh, are you watching the same things I'm watching, or am am I just that oblivious to to what I'm seeing? So. I'm caught in between. It's, it's, do I want them to build a strong team and then let the chips fall where they may at quarterback, or do I want them to suck and then get a good quarterback next year and then build around them?
0: We shall see how it all plays out, and we look forward to uh, going through this with you uh, either before the draft or right after the draft. Um, from a Jets perspective, I'm just, I am just I don't like the, having the Pats so early, weeks three and seven. I don't like the week four bye. Although we get the mini buy later in the year with the Thursday night game. And uh, I'm just happy they're home week one with a one o'clock game because I will see y'all there at MetLife Stadium.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I I think I I like the Jets' schedule. You know, you see the pads early as a a roadblock. I think it's actually the best time to play them would be the first couple weeks of the season. When they themselves have admittedly said, you know, this is our preseason, the month of September, so... I think the game at MetLife is always a tricky one for them. Uh, the Pats never play well down there against them. So if the Jets can get some kind of momentum, those games could be actually a lot more difficult than they, than they might seem right now.
0: Um, okay. Um, so here we are. It is May 19th, the year 2019. And I'm going to read some names to you. Are you ready? Yeah, let's go. Jordan Montgomery, Giancarlo Stanton, Miguel Andujar, Ben Heller, D.D. Gr- Gr- Gregorius, Luis Severino, Dylan Betances, Gary Sanchez, Aaron Hicks, Jacob... Uh, <laughs> Jacoby Ellsbury, Greg Bird, Troy Tulowitzki. I'm probably leaving out a name. God, this Yankee team. They can't get off the injury, Schneid. What... When we were going to record this last week, it was bad. Now it's really bad. Um, they're 8-10, and 10, they're second in the AL East, but this is a patchwork team right now, and that's not pretty.
1: Yeah, it's been disappointing, to the least, that these players haven't been able to stay healthy, and you thought that, I thought, you know, they had two big wins against Boston in the stadium, that they would have some momentum here, and build off of that, and they go out and lose to the Royals last night, and it's just, it's, it's frustrating, but you have to remember, it's baseball, it's 662 games, or 18 games in, and they're still 500-ish, so you got to hope that eventually these players that come back, I think Sanchez was running in the field the other day, um, so you know, you hope to have him back soon, Dan should be back soon. Again, I'll accept DeeDee. I'll accept Jordan Montgomery. We knew that they would be out to start the season. These other players, it's it's a little unacceptable. Andrew R. had some bad luck sliding into third base. Uh, To we knew that was coming. Greg Bird, guys made a glass. You know, you might as well chop off his feet at at this point. You know, like, what good is he to that team? There's always something with his foot. So... You know those players. You know it is what it is, but you gotta hope that the big bats come back soon. Because even if they don't have the pitching right now, if they can generate offense and keep the team in the game by hitting home runs and getting on base, then they'll be able to, to squeak together something here. But if they don't have anybody in that lineup, then what are they? They're they're basically the Tampa Bay Rays, who have apparently been world beaters. They are what 14 and four right now, so.
0: Uh, they need to figure out something quick, and they got to go on a little run here to go into May and start getting some momentum. Um, it's uh, it's not pretty uh, right now, and that's that's uh, not helping anyone's cause. I'm trying to find where you, where you, ranted at somebody. Um, I just can't find it right now, um, but it's pretty funny. Anyway, while I do that, to me, th- uh. Greg Bird, I think, was destined for the Myers, and and, and and I think he needs to play every day and kind of get back in a day-to-day groove. I, I, I think for them, the Andahar injury is big. The Aaron Hicks injury, I think nobody has really played up the impact that's had with their depth and everything. Look, if Gardy doesn't hit the Grand Slam the other night, they don't win that game, potentially. And it's just a whole different story. Gardy stepped up in a big spot. For me... Um, losing Betances was big. That that, that that bullpen can be shaky at times. I think they're going to be okay. But no Andahar, no Didi. And now you have to go with Romine as your catcher and just hope that on the days he gets off, they get some production out of that area without Sanchez for a while. It's just, it's not that I'm worried about the individual spots per se. It's that the depth issues get exposed. And that's when you can run the problems and lose to bad teams on the days where you have to rest people.
1: Yeah, I think I'll say this at least about this type of sport. I'd rather them be this situation now in April, where there's a lot of off days built into this schedule to begin with. Um, teams are still trying to find their way. You know, if they gotta miss a month from these guys, I'd rather be now than in July or August when they really need to have everybody at the top of their game. However, if you're not getting any production out of anybody, and if you're relying on Judge and you're relying on Brett Gardner to hit 20 home runs a year, um, you're really going to start to run. You're really going to start to run into some issues. So, the the goal I think for the Yankees is to get through this month, be 500, be there, and hope that the Red Sox people losing. they already seem to be falling apart at the seams because they're. That team is an enigma. They, they have a bunch of people on that team that are world-class players, but they have one guy who's just an idiot that keeps running his mouth. You know, was talking today about potentially trading away everybody if the season goes terribly wrong. And it's just like, that, that team, you know, is in a situation now where they're vulnerable, and if the Yankees can win some games and really put some distance between them, you're going to bury them early. One less team you got to worry about, and then you can go after the teams that you really need to go after.
0: Uh, I can accept Montgomery and Didi knew they would be there. Also known, also knew that Jacoby and Tula would be there. The Miggy, Sevy, and Stanton ones are not acceptable. That's the quote I was looking for from you.
1: Yeah, I mean, Seve came out and said he started feeling issues with his Latin spring training. So what the hell are you doing? You know, like... be shut down, get ready for the season. Uh, I don't don't get a lot of what these players do sometimes. Baseball is a finicky sport with their injuries. Um, You know, if you sleep on the wrong side of the bed, you you don't play the next day. So uh, I think that what they have right now, they've got to, again, just figure out a way to be 500 by the end of the month you're at 13 and 13 say at the beginning of april you still have a ton of baseball left to play and you still have a ton of opportunity for Stanton in to come back and make a difference you still have sanchez coming back um you know but Tantis apparently has been dealing with this issue his entire career you know so he should be able to come back and, and and give you something and then if you're really hurting towards the trade deadline then you've got to make a move but for right now just hover around that 500 mark until April, get these players back, go on a little bit of a run, and then set yourself up for a pennant race in in August.
0: Um, What's the vibe like in Boston? Because Chris Sale has been awful. I mean, just, what is he, 0-4 now? I mean, it's just awful. I
1: mean, Boston last year, I think, and we've seen this a lot in their World Series years, they just had everything go right for them, you know. Mookie Betts was out of this world. J.D. Martinez was an MVP candidate. Bogarts hit finally hit for power. Their patchwork bullpen was able to hold up and play lights out in the postseason. David Price figured out something in the postseason. Nathan Ovaldi was like a young candidate in, from September on. So um, they had a lot of things go right, and this year it's not been that way, you know. Uh, sale has been been terrible. Their bullpen kind of stinks. Um, Betts has been off to a terrible start, and here they are, what, 6 and 13 or whatever it is. Um, and they're falling apart to steam because they, they take some success last year and they thought that it was, I feel like they thought it would be that easy again, and unfortunately it's not. Um,
0: no, it is not at all. All right. Um, uh, so here we are, um, on this mid-April, and uh, that means the Champions League semi-finals uh, are set. The quarterfinals were this week. Wacky things happened. I'm not versed in this area. Go for it, Danny Flecka. We
1: saw what Barcelona took care of business at home. I think we all saw that one coming. Three nothing over Man U. Very easy win for them. Liverpool took care of Porto, again very easy, 3-1, um, they won, they moved on to Barcelona and Liverpool, we playing each other in the semis. The other side of the bracket you saw uh, two stunners, you saw Ajax go into Italy and beat Juventus, you know, Juventus was up one nothing in the 35th minute, gave the lead away, it was 1-1, all tied up on aggregate, so you know, it was pretty much next goal win and I actually was able to get it and hold them off, and uh, it was a stunning result. You know, I didn't see that coming. I thought that they would, bar- you know, mark the bus. I thought that they would be able to, to do what they needed to do to advance, and they were not able to do that. But what I think was more surprising was the game on Wednesday between Tottenham and Man City. I mean, I've never seen a more crazy soccer game. In the first 20 minutes, the score was 3-2. It was. One nothing, Man U, I mean, Man City early. Tottenham came back, made it one one. Um, then Tottenham goes up two one, and then Man City comes roaring back with two more goals, and then Man City scores to make it four two, and they're through. They're through with that 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 uh, that score right there. And in the seventy fifth minute, uh, Tottenham has a corner kick goes off the guy's hip into the goal. They went to the VAR. And they allowed the goal, and then Man City was pressing, pressing, pressing. Got a goal to make a 5-3. They went to review the goal again. It was deemed that like he was offside, and it was the goal was taken off the board. So, crazy game. Unbelievable excitement, ups and downs, ebbs and flows. Two teams have played each other twice a year already to begin with in the league. Um, it was an incredible outcome for Tottenham. I think a really big win for them. They're out their best player, and they were able to get the result and move on and play uh, Ajax in the semifinals. Hopefully they have Harry Kane back, but huge step for them. When you talk about like Premier League soccer, you always name the same teams, but Tottenham's always been that one London team that's like been on the edge of being something. And with a new stadium and the ba- financial backing now and then the money you're gonna get from this tournament this could be a, a, a team changing moment for them they could become you know if things go right a, a powerhouse now just given the situation that they're in they just did they do need some results here um, moving forward you know they have a big game on tomorrow against Man City again um, for in the league but it was an amazing game from a purely neutral side it was awesome to watch um, you know, the type of soccer, back and forth, back and forth. People complain that soccer has no excitement. This game had five goals in 20 minutes and had a, basically a buzzer-beater goal happen that was taken off the board. So, um, great excitement. That's what the Champions League is. And it's, uh, it's going to be an interesting um, draw in the second half. You know, you have two of the best teams remaining playing against each other and two of the surprising teams playing against each other. So, um, we're going to see potentially a Cinderella story come, come to life here if I, at the were able to get through and then potentially take on uh, Barcelona or Liverpool and win that trophy.
0: Um, any thoughts on Tiger and, and, and the Masters, or, or have I just covered it through all my podcasts this week?
1: I mean, from my perspective, you know, I was upset. I missed it. I didn't know that the weather was pushing up to start. Uh, I would have loved to have seen Tiger on the 18th and win that green jacket. Um, But what can you say? I mean, this guy has battled through adversity for the last 11 years, whether it be personal, professional, um, and for the sport of golf, I think it's probably the best thing that could have ever happened to them. You know, golf was going through uh, some changes the last couple of years where you thought that these young studs that were coming into play, like Ricky Fowler and and McElroy and Justin Thomas would be the ones that would take the torch from Tiger, but no one really grabbed it. You know, there were pieces of time where McElroy was the guy, where Spieth was the guy, where Justin Johnson was the guy, but no one ever really took it like Tiger had in the past. And it was nice, not to say Tiger's, I think, going to be the Tiger that we saw in the mid-2000s, but from a, a fan perspective, from a neutral perspective, you know, being able to see Tiger come back from everything, win that tournament, do it so coming back for the first time ever in his career in a major on Sunday, be trailing it to win the tournament, uh, just goes to show you that if you believe in yourself, if you fight, if you keep driving if you keep grinding, and you keep doing what it is that you know that you're supposed to do, then eventually things will come and, and come to you, and you'll be able to be successful. So. Um, great moment for golf, great moment for sports, and it's nice to see just a, I think, very genuine emotion that he showed after winning that tournament.
0: Uh, we talked about the NBA and the NHL, uh, well, not the NHL, we talked about the NBA off-air. Is there anything you want to say about that Well, during this podcast, or are you podcasted out?
1: I mean, NBA playoffs are what they are. It's usually the higher seeds advance. You get a couple of shock-up games here and there, but... I think all the top seeds will advance. Um, I think I think the one top seed that might have some trouble is Denver. Now, San Antonio has played them kind of tough, and we know what Popovich is like in the playoffs. But I think all the top seeds advance. I think we got, what, Milwaukee versus Boston, and then you have Philadelphia versus Toronto in the East, and you have Golden State versus, uh, who's the fourth seed out there? Houston, right? Is Houston the fourth seed? I think Houston's... Houston's Excuse yeah, me, I was Houston's taking a drink. Team.
0: Something like that. Yeah, that sounds about right.
1: And then you got Portland versus... I think I think you'll see San Antonio upset uh, Denver, but then uh, you got Portland, I think, will win that series against San Antonio. So um, I think it's going to be really chalk across the board. I, there's one team I think that can throw a wrench into the whole thing. It might be the Celtics, but even they don't... Give me that type of confidence in the East to, to maybe take
0: down Milwaukee and then possibly Toronto or Philadelphia again. The uh, four is
1: so, Houston out west. Yeah, so I think we might see a Milwaukee
0: uh, Golden State final. Um, and then just one last thing here: um, vibe in Boston, Celtics up two nothing on on the Pacers. Is this them finally finding their stride?
1: I mean, I hope so. I mean, I love watching that team play. Kyrie's an amazing player. Tatum had a big game on on uh, Wednesday. Problem is, on Wednesday, they were down 12 to start the fourth quarter and had to scratch and claw to get their way back into that game and hold on. Um, you got to hope that they kind of figure stuff out. Tonight's a big game for them. You go up 3-0 and the series is pretty much over. Uh, don't let this team linger around. So, we'll see what they got tonight. I think Indiana pulled off... Pulls off the upset tonight, but then loses game four, and then they clinch in five. But uh, I think tonight's a big game for them. Go in there, take care of business, and then uh, get out of this round as soon as possible so you can rest up and game plan for who you're playing next.
0: So anything else you want to say on this podcast, good sir?
1: Uh, I think I'm upset.
0: Uh, how would you rank Game of Thrones episode one of this new season on a scale of one to ten? And that's all you can say, because I know nothing about it.
1: I'll say it's a, it, was a, it was a seven. It was a table setter. So um, we have that episode was 58 minutes long. This week I think it's 54 minutes long. And then we get into hour 19, hour 22, an hour 19, hour 25 minute episodes. So these episodes here are just simply place setters for what's to come. So uh, I'm sure we'll, we'll see some interesting things.
0: Interesting uh, setup there by the folks uh, who are producing this to make those episodes long as the episode number gets shorter. Thank you, sir, Danny Flecker, for coming on Teeing It Up with Jeremy Schilling. It is wonderful to have you um, uh, here, as always, on Teeing It Up with Jeremy Schilling.
1: No problem, man. Have a good night.
0: And thank you all for listening to this edition of Teeing It Up with Jeremy Schilling.